Let's get it right. I've got a few things to say to you. Basic stuff first. Never be cruel. Never be cowardly. And never eat pears. Remember, hate is always foolish. And love is always wise. Always try to be nice and never fail to be kind. Oh, and you mustn't tell anyone your name. No one would understand it anyway. Except, and this is when the uh, regeneration energy is reaching his brain. Except children. Children can hear it. Sometimes. If their hearts are in the right place. And the stars are too. Children can hear your name. Do you think he's Father Christmas? Um, the, the Doctor? Yeah, do you think that's... Well, he makes that red bicycle joke, doesn't he? Yeah, the, uh, he does. I'm just basing that off, like, thinking about it. Like, only children know you're true, etc, etc. Um, that, that part for me, when he slumps on the floor and starts talking about, oh no, the children can hear it. That, for me, was when that regeneration speech went from terrible <laughs> to, like, it was, it was terminal. It was giving me an aneurysm to... Yeah, it was it. cataclysmically written. And so, for those of you listening who think you've actually cut in halfway through the podcast, this is indeed the... Or, or uh, halfway through Twice Upon a Time. <laughs> yeah, this is indeed the uh, introduction to our podcast, somehow. Um, I'm not entirely sure why, um, but, you know, last year I opened with a... Not last year, yesterday. <laughs> last week I opened with a pie end to Robot Wars, so anything's possible on this podcast. Well, I, I thought since we mentioned the Never Eat Pears thing, I'd open with uh, an excerpt from uh, from the Twelfth Doctor's speech. What do you think, Chris? You didn't like it? No, I wasn't really. I wasn't really a big fan. Um, I would say I uh, don't. Agree, I don't agree with that in the workplace. Before <laughs> you get the office reference in early, did you? This well, week? it's just because I saw this week. Um, have I shown you that video that I saw this week of someone went onto a bus in London and tried to pay with stamps? Uh, you did show me, yes. Yeah, exactly. On, so um, the... Do you know who Eric Hitchmo is? It is indeed. I... Fantastic Facebook group. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually a moderator, so I agree. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, all right. Cool. cool. Yeah. Did uh, you, did you yeah. show your girlfriend that? Was she really impressed? Uh, yeah, she was, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then I showed her my Simpsons DVD collection. <laughs> it's a good collection. No, it's actually my dad's, so, um, oh, my dad's uh, DVD collection. Well, that's really cool, Flick's hair. Oh, actually, it's my dad's. Oh, well, uh, I guess we can hang out sometime. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> the... Um, the uh, um, what I was gonna say, um, I was I, I'm just amazed that someone would have the audacity to do that on a bus in public. Like, I wish I had that level of like lack of shame to you know go that commit that much to a character. I thought you had a lack of shame. No, yeah. I have intense shame. That's my issue. I, I'm, I'm I, I live in a constant cycle of of fear and anxiety. That's, <laughs> it's like ninety percent of my issues with my life come down to that. And uh, we are now on the Full Fat Podcast therapy session. Chris, if you'd like to tell me... Well, I was about to say, it's actually quite relevant to this week's episode of Doctor Who, but... Yes, it is. It is. Um, Well, what order do you want to go in this week? Because we kind of jumble it around, don't we? The podcast is more of a... People think it's a linear podcast, but really it's more of a ball of wibbly-wobbly, tummy-wimey stuff. Would you not say, Chris? I would, uh, I would agree. I think we should start by talking about Doctor Who. I thought you were going to go, I, I would not say that. <laughs> you know what? I think we should start by talking about Doctor Who just because it's quite fresh in my brain. It's quite fresh in your brain. And also, a lot of people I know, um, obviously we talk about other things, there are also a lot of people who come here for Look Who's Talking. So maybe it's good to <laughs> A lot of people off. who? Yeah. Um, some of our patrons. Some of our patrons. Um, if, if, uh, if you are here for Doctor Who, make yourself known now. Just let us know. Yeah, right into... Um... Oh, I meant no, I meant like right now, physically right now. Oh, right, okay, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll know, we'll feel it full time. <laughs> I think I can hear someone right now. Is that Jabari Jefferson? Asking for the Aquaman video. <laughs> You'll get it when you bloody get it, all right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, Chris, what did you think of this week's Stocky Who? Um, I thought it was a bit of a mess, to be honest. But that sounds like, that sounds like I hated it. I didn't. I actually quite enjoyed it. I just thought it was mm. a bit like actually last week's Praxis. I felt like it was, 
had about 100 different ideas and was almost the antithesis of some of the issues I had with Series 11, which was there was so much going on. There were so many things jumbled together. I don't really think thematically it really cohered into, into like, not necessarily a whole, but but it felt like it had. It was trying to have a message, and it didn't feel like to me it delivered it in the way that it was intending because it had too much going on at once. That being said, I thought it was very entertaining. So I'm a bit, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit in two minds about it. In, all in terms of messes, where would you rank it amongst Eton, Hot, and Lionel Messi? Uh, probably Lionel Messi. Uh, that ranking system's absolutely what? pointless. So what? that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what do you mean? I said, where would you rank it in between those? And you just went Lionel Messi. Well, you said in between. Are you, I, I don't know what the no, scale, no, no, is. In order. I want you to rank it. I want you to rank it. Like that. So this episode being a mess. Yeah, it was a. It was. It was just. Well, would you rather eat an eaten mess or watch this episode? Oh, I see. What you, I see what you're saying. Well, eat and eat a mess, but that's. I like eating mess. Right. Like, and would you rather go out to the movies with Lionel Messi? Uh, yeah, because I could sell the story. That'd be pretty cool. Like my night hanging out with Lionel Messi. That's that's a lad Bible article. Okay, and uh, how can I tie in a hot mess here? Well, I guess I'm a bit of a hot mess, aren't I, Chris? Would you not say? Yes. <laughs> uh, but and you like spending time with me. I go at the top. And, like, <laughs> that laugh felt insincere, and I feel sad. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, no, um, I I so I think. I think it's worth talking about what we liked. I mean, what did you think of the episode, first and foremost? Um, there was a point in the episode where I thought it could be the best of the season, and then it kind of went downhill for a bit for me. Um, I really liked the idea of these eternal cosmic beings that seem infinitely more powerful and more complex than both humans and Time Lords. I really liked when... Uh, what was he called? Zelin, I think? Yeah, I think so. God. Um, the, the names are still no better, are they? They're still... No, it's still fan fiction tier. Um, but anyway, yeah, when Zelim was like, oh, you know, some mortals like to play our games, it felt a bit like um, Neil Gaiman's Sandman um, to I, me in a good way. I thought it was clever that he name dropped people like the Guardian. He mentioned the Guardians. He mentioned the, he mentioned the Eternals, which I find quite funny because obviously they're two Marvel IPs, but they're both they're both genuine yeah, things in classic yeah, yeah. Who. And then he obviously mentioned the Celestial Toymaker, which kind of reminded me of um, the being in The Doctor's Wife as well. Of these kind of like yes. beings that exist outside of time and space that come into the universe to just play with it. And it's an interesting, I think it's a very interesting concept. I always like it when Doctor Who goes a bit more cosmic, um, a bit more existential. And, and this certainly delivered that because I thought they were such good villains to then waste in 49 minutes. It's a bit of a shame. I mean, villains like that to me could be like villains for, for a whole series arc. If they- you'd have had Zelin and then the idea that these two planets are getting crushed together and in between them is this prison where there's this other god and he's trying to break her out. That could be a whole season for me. I really like that idea. And to have it sort of wasted in 49 minutes is is such a shame to move on to next week where we'll get something completely different. It's strange, isn't it? Because I I thought... My first response was that should have been a two-parter because it was so dense. At minimum. And there was so much going on. And you know what it was for me? It was that... It never really got going to explore what he was trying to sort of thematically do. You know, you had throwaway lines about like, that's why humanity are like the perfect prey because of all this anguish, all this mm. fear. And you had these brief bits where the companions were confronted by the nightmares. What sort of frustrated me slightly here was that it made sense thematically maybe for Ryan to be scared in Orphan 55. Especially given the fact that he came off the back of that episode watching, he questioned the Doctor about leaving someone to their doom. Mm. And that for me was probably the best part of that episode. Yeah. You know, so it would make sense that his vision was maybe the fiery Orphan 55. And then Grey was obviously his cancer and his wife Grace yeah. you know strong themes that were kind of, probably the 
the strongest elements fanatically of season 11 brought back into the series. But then Yaz's thing, again, it just came out of nowhere. And I understand they are really trying to develop her. And it was nice to add this element to Yaz where you think, oh, she was depressed. And maybe the doctor mm. traveling with us given a purpose. But it would have been nice if that had been seeded in sooner in the series. So it's not really a criticism on the episode, but it was a bit like, I felt like it was a bit of a testament to how little we know about Yaz that they kind of just had to pull something out of their arse. Could you answer something for me? Because maybe I missed it. What I watched this this morning on my morning commute. So uh, forgive me. They mark the anniversary of when she ran away. No, they don't specify specifically. Okay, what so we've the, still got that to go, that to come. Whatever happens, whatever that is. Okay, because yeah, at were the like, end when like they went three years earlier, I was like, okay, so now we're going to find out what it is. You'd, you'd want it to be tied up in this episode, wouldn't you? Yeah, they are. I think it was. I took from it that it was not necessarily implied, but that it was something else that they marked the anniversary of, and it's her missing this important thing, which was also right. a theme in the episode that traveling with the Doctor takes you away, and I think. I mean, we've said this, we said this in our Series 11 video, I've said this on the podcast before, again, this week for me just felt like this example of, like, Chibnall being unable to tie these two kind of disparate things that he's trying to do, which is, you know, fun, rompy science fiction, Mm. and these hard emotional themes. I mean, look at even a a, a mediocre, well, not mediocre, I actually think over time I've warmed to it, but a story like Aliens of London is two parts. Yes, it's silly with the Slovene, it's a bit ridiculous, but they still give you those awesome things like Mickey having nearly been arrested yeah. and, you know, all these other things that really It kinda... all weaves into the plot, whereas this one was we've stopped the immortal gods, which really should have been a lot harder to stop anyway, we'll forget that, and now we've got an extra ten minutes of uh, character character stuff uh, which doesn't really flow into the episode as well, does it? It feels very clunky to put that on at the end, it's like a coda. Exactly, that's what felt That's what felt strange to me, was that it was just sort of like, we've got these two different shows, and I don't I, I personally didn't feel like they succinctly managed to balance these themes of depression that they mm. were trying to shoot for. It was, it was weird, that, wasn't it? Because with the with Ryan's best friend, when he was saying, yeah, I've been having trouble sleeping a lot lately, and you know the way he was kind of acting erratically, and that obviously there's all this like fantastical stuff going on, I thought what they were going to do for a second was have them all split up, Ryan's gone to go see his friend, his friend's acting weird, and you're kind of thinking, oh, he's acting weird because it's to do with the main plot like all the other characters. And then when he was like, yeah, I've just been feeling really off lately, I was like, oh, so Ryan's B-plot is actually just going to be his friend's depressed, and that's where we're going with this. That's kind of interesting. And then he goes, oh, yeah, I've been feeling really off lately, and also (laughs) there's this guy at the end of my bed every night, and it's like you've conflated being depressed with this weird sci-fi plot. And then at the end... He's like, yeah, I feel much better, and also I need to go and and get some help. Yeah, and it, it was it was kind of for me. It was like these. It felt almost patronising in a sense of like, oh well, the problem is we we we're like depression monsters because we make people spooky, scared, kind of thing. Mm. I know I wasn't trying to do that. I'm not claiming that it was like malicious in any way in its intent. But I thought the fact that it was zipping around all over the place kind of muddled what it was trying to say, and I'm not really sure why the. There, there is something potent in the Doctor saying to, to kids watching all over the country, you know, these things that bring you down or these failures you might dwell on, you know, make you who you are. They're what make you great. And if you can overcome them, then that's, yeah, and that's a fantastic thing. I mean, both adults as, and children alike. Um, but I do agree with you. It, it, in a classic Chibnall fashion, it comes across really ham-fisted and it doesn't quite jive with the rest of the episode. 
Yeah, and it also suffered from that thing as well that I feel. I think I think it was nitpicks in their video on series on Chibnall's writing ages ago, even before series eleven aired. Oh, yeah, pointed yeah. out that he did that same thing that he often. I know obviously this was written by Charlene James and Chibnall, so it's not. But I for me it stuck out like a sore thumb. Which bits were written by Chibnall? Mm. He clearly wrote the ending and the domestic scenes. Do you think kind of like what happened a few times with Moffat? Uh, do you think they, uh, Charlene pitched him this idea of the the gods? going to people's nightmares and then he was like oh and I also want this arc stuff to happen so I'm gonna help write it fudge the arc stuff in here and then we'll just worry about the concept later yes. and then we'll rush the resolution yeah because that's his biggest problem I think and Moffat fell into deus ex machina a lot mm. I think with certain stories but often there was something clever woven into the plot that kind of often as much as it got fatiguing yes. there was always an excuse for the deus ex machina whereas Chibnall it's always just a big red button and that's what Nitpick said, I remember. It was a big red button that you that he just presses at the end of the story. I like Power of Free, for example, 40 minutes mm. excellent, and the doctor just whisks it all the way. Yeah. And, and this week it was just, oh, I've done this thing. And also... It's also, a- they only escaped the ship and reprogrammed the fingers because they left them there on the ship. Yeah. And like, I know they had them chained up, but the doctor, you know, defied gravity by flicking the fucking Sonic up into her hands. That thing doesn't obey the laws of physics at all. No. <laughs> and also, like, Lisa, in this house, we obey the laws of thermodynamics. But what, what, what was that? Because them winning hinges on her being able to do that. She just She's just shaking her torso, and then suddenly the design just flips into her hand. But that's what I mean. Like, that's it never bullshit. Felt, it never felt again. It never felt like it was real tension, because the, the, Graham was like, do you have a plan? She was like, I have so many plans. I'm just figuring out which one to do. Mm. Oh, yes, this one. And it it just felt like, to me, like, it, it got worse as it went on for me because I really liked the opening. I really liked that shot where the big clawed hand comes and takes that woman. I liked that we started in Aleppo. That was an interesting location. Um, it was nice to see it through the perspective of that other character um, whose name I've now forgotten because she was given no development. And she doesn't actually say goodbye to the Doctor or the, or the companions, You know she? what? I mean, it's eye-rolling almost because I feel like this series has done so much what I would consider on paper course correction and almost the problems mm. I'm having with it. And I'm not having problems with it. I think it's been an enjoyable series. I mean, I read my series ranking um, that I do quite a lot the other day, and it doesn't. Call, this series doesn't rank low for me. It doesn't rank high, but so far it's ranking quite, you know, in the middle. And yeah. you know, that's that's not bad. That's just there's been some incredible seasons of the show. But like, what it is for me is I wanted more locations, but this isn't more locations. This is just randomly popping to places, and it's not really serving the story. Like, I want more alien planets yeah. and things like that. I don't necessarily just want to go. Well, this is in Aleppo. Like, like Aleppo RTD. You go to Pompeii. You get a sense of what Pompeii was like at the time. Yeah. You spend, you know, a concerted amount of time there. Uh, here, it's just like, Aleppo, we're here. Like, do you feel like you learned any more about Aleppo? Tell me why specifically it was in Aleppo as Yeah, well. it could have been anywhere. Why was it that woman? It could have been any random Moffat, human. That doesn't it? That was yeah. my Moffat. Oh, we've gone to 1286 or whatever, and now we've gone over here, now we've gone over there. Um, yeah. But it, it, he, he's done that a lot this season. I feel like he's been trying to kind of mimic... The, the previous two showrunners in different ways. Like, you know, like Fugitive of the Jadoon, where there's, like, an event happening in a small British town and, you know, everyone, everything's going haywire. feels to me a bit more RTD. And then this feels a bit more like Moffat, where it's, like, multiple locations across space and time, this gigantic concept we don't have enough time to deal with, and then it's just over really quickly. Yeah, it's it's, it's just... it's just I don't know, like... Because it was entertaining, and I feel like I'm... I'm, da- I'm I'm ragging on it. For me, I mean, my least favourite of the series is Orphan 55. Your least favourite was pra- probably Praxis. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's not even close. Like, I wouldn't even go like, 
or it's near all from 55 level as you would not say it was near Praxis level for me it's it's about on par with me for like Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror in fact I actually preferred Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror I think Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror is better but there's a lot of stuff to like in this episode Um, the fingers that was great I saw saw a, a gif of um of that before the episode before I saw the episode this morning I saw it last night and I thought oh that looks really really cool um and then the actual episode it was somehow even creepier than the gif when it stuck the fingers when he stuck the in fingers in your ears, into the ears yeah I thought I thought it was creepy and it reminds me of at the weekend when we were driving to Whitstable and I was in the back seat and I gave you a wet willy yeah do you remember that yeah I do did you enjoy that uh, it was you know it was the day before my birthday as well so it felt very fitting <laughs> Just pointing out I've uh, not gotten you back. You've not got me back for that. Oh, no, 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 but you know me. I mean, I was once described as someone who knocked across because my revenge is never physical. Um, but I, you know, um, I, I think this series has been a marked improvement. Where I'm placing it at the moment is 11 for me is still at the bottom. Seven is just above that. 10 is way above that. Mm-hmm. And then this is at the moment ranked above 10 for me. Would you say it's better than 10? I, d- I, do, I do think it's been more ambitious. I think it, it, it all hinges on the finale and what the roof doctor's going to be for me to place it above 10. But, but, but you say that, there's been nothing as good as Oxygen in this season. But it wouldn't sink it below 7. There's no way for me it's sinking below 7 now. Oh, no. Even, even if that finale is pants... It'll remind me of a bit like Hellbent, where I'm like, okay, that was a bit lame, yeah. but like we've taken a lot out of this series. And I'm like, you know what? Even if you disregard the arc stuff, this series, like a bit like my gripes with the Impossible Astronaut, as much as I'm like, ugh, it doesn't deny how great After Spyfall Part 2 aired and how fun that story was. And I could watch that again with mm. Sasha Dewan's Master. It doesn't take away from that. Fugitive the Doom would feel a bit redundant because what am I watching it for? But it was still a great hour of, t- it was still a great yeah. hour of television. Uh, Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror was great, you know. Like it's been, it's been, a, it's been really fun. And obviously, to next watch year yes. we've got Chibnall building on those ideas. We've got Captain Jack probably coming back in a major way. So it, it's only looking to Pos- get better and better. Hopefully, yeah, even if it disappoints me at the end, I'm coming away from the series feeling positive. But at the Unfort- same time, it's not quite. The Moffat era, is it? No. It's not quite the RTD era. But it's not no quite the RTD era. No, no, no. But um, what is upsetting is that the ratings are continuing to decline. And well, they are. And we that is a- sad, but at the same time, you know, they, they really screwed the pooch last year. Coming out of the gate, this was a chance to get new people on board. And I think they fucked it. I think you'd agree with me. Um, it was a terrible season. So why would people come back this year? But then like, I also see the think... trailer. It'd be more of the same, wouldn't it? Same Doctor, same companions, same showrunner. Why would you tune in if I, you saw I, last season? I also think it's arbitrary. But I do think a Sunday placement at 7pm. That's stupid. Like, because Saturday... Do you remember... I remember when it first came back and it was 7pm. It might have been 6... I feel like it was 6.45 I think it, when it came way. back, it was 7. Okay, so it was 7. Because that was before they started... Chucking it random, Chucking it. random it all, times. Isn't it? And it was their prime time drama. Yeah. Even though it was aimed at kids, it was their prime time drama. And you know what? It was so successful that it gave them the confidence to commission things like Life on Mars. Mm-hmm. It did. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have Life on Mars without Doctor Who. You know what ITV went and did? I know you didn't like it as much as me, but they went, uh, we got to kill this and we'll put Primeval out. I don't, know? for the record, I don't dislike Primeval. I've never seen it. I just think it's funny um, to, to riff on things that you, you, you like that bring you happiness fair enough I, I really enjoy <laughs> Primary but do you know what I mean like, there was a real time and then they commissioned things like Merlin off the back of this yeah, I don't and, think uh, being Robin hum- Hood I don't think being human would have got a commission no and I look at it now and it feels to me and I, you know I've spoken to people like I mean my, da- my dad said to me you know um, that it feels like we're in the 80s and you know it just doesn't feel like the BBC has that kind of same confidence in it 
Not that maybe maybe it did, and it, and it's it's a real shame. And I don't necessarily think that's like oh well, you know, the BBC sort their act out. It's not even that. I just think the, the it, it, I, you know what I do to some extent blame the quality of series eleven, but I also think for a long time, even preceding Chibnall, there's been a lack of sort of not necessarily faith in it, but there's been a lot of we're changing the time it's on this new suit. How many times yeah. did Moffat? Was there a sort of, not Moffat saying it, but like a press release, this series, we're taking it back to, or X, or yeah. this series, we're, we're doing something. And it's it, it's felt like, to be honest, ever since David Tennant left, as much as, you know, Matt Smith brought a lot of popularity into America, mm. and I love Series 5, it's felt like the, pre- the marketing behind it has always in- implied, well, you know, next year, that's the year. It's going to be like yeah. those Tennant years, and everyone's going to talk about it. And and, and it's, it's, it's not the same. I mean, the, it, way, the way we process and absorb tv is changing anyway but people saying that as being the reason why the ratings have declined that's a bit bullshit isn't it yeah declined because less people are watching the show full stop less people are talking about it you don't see the same sort of buzz as you did even under capaldi no people just don't care as much not at all and i think i I, it is it is due to an issue with the writing but i do i do think there's a lot to be said for you know i mean and there's plenty of people i know who are big Dot Who fans mm. who barely knew Spyfall was airing because the market the marketing was, well, well, marketing we been knew pissed. when it was airing but I remember it was like maybe the 29th of December and you mentioned Doctor Who being on that week and I was like oh yeah because like, be- it was piss poor marketing well, but also did you care I mean it turned out to be a really good story but did you think it was going to be a good story no I was going into it thinking it would be I mean you know we we got blessed in a kind of way of thinking kind of you know, a resolution was a bit of an improvement. I thought it'd be about resolution quality. I didn't expect it to be such a leap in quality. I mean, I've always believed like goodwill and word of mouth. It, it really does go a long way, more than I think people realise. It's often when you know a movie sequel comes out and it's finally the good one, or you know, I mean, even with like Birds of Prey that just came out over the weekend, it's it's underperformed. It's not done terribly, but it's underperformed. People are going, oh, but it's great, you know, and all the reviews are strong. Why is it not done as well? Well, because it's kind of a sequel to Suicide Squad and everyone and their mums knows that film's awful. Well, it's the so, same reason yeah. Justice League tanked. Well, exactly, really, exactly. Because a Justice League film should have made a billion, minimum. But if, but if, you're not, if you're not into these movies and you don't follow them and you see a trailer for Birds of Prey and you saw Suicide Squad and you hated it, why would you go and see Birds of Prey? Even if it's a different director, slightly different tone, it's R-rated, like, you might not pick up on all those things just seeing a 30 second TV spot and if you don't care about these characters you know if you're just a casual movie fan why would you be like oh they've really given it a good go this time I'm going to tune in it's the same thing with Justice League as you said like there's countless other franchises that I mean I mean, people didn't like Last Jedi did they well it was divisive shall we say yeah um, and then Sally didn't do too well at the box office and it's, been pa- it's and, not a coincidence and I don't even think that's boycotting because you know Rise, Rise of Skywalker then on bad word of mouth I mean bad word of mouth tanked BVS didn't it because again there's no yeah. reason a juggernaut like that wouldn't and I think I mean well I mean we say tanked here the studio wanted it to make a billion it didn't make a billion yeah. it, it still did very well um, but it, you know it should have you know what I mean like Imagine if Infinity War didn't make a billion. Mm, You'd sort of be scratching mm. your head, why did I make that film? You know, like, it didn't it didn't make a loss, did it? But you, you know, you... It, it, it should have been the cultural moment that Avengers was for blockbuster cinema for DC, and it should have kickstarted a whole universe, and it just didn't do any of those things. Um, I mean, when you've got a film like Aquaman making a billion, and your two staple characters, Batman and Superman, and one woman's in the film as well, and Lex Luthor. They're some of the most recognisable names in the DC mythos, and for it to not even make a billion is... 
It's a shame, isn't it? Well, I just it always just casts me back with Dots Who too. Do you remember when Stolen Earth aired? And I very vividly remember, I mean, for one, it had 8.78 million viewers, which at the time, that was the highest ever. Obviously, Woman Who <laughs> Fell to Earth. Did you, uh, did you pull that off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, I did, actually. Really? Um, you didn't Google it? No, I did Google it, yeah. <laughs> um, but if you'd have just said, like, about 8 million viewers, I could have believed that you'd... You, you just pulled that figure from your head, but it was the, it was the specificity. <laughs> no, wait, was it? Can we go back? Specificity. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know... Um, You're not going to cut that, are you? No. Because <laughs> you know what... Um, Ladies I'm, and gentlemen, he cuts all his gaffes, but uh, not mine. That's why we have so few cuts. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, but the, um, the, the, the fact is, you know, like, this episode, I remember when it aired, and I always remember that fake-out regeneration, and it being in the papers. Not, 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 not just the story was good, but, oh, you know... Doctor Who has fans. Da, 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 da. Mm. The only press you ever get about Doctor Who with has fans going X is negative these days. It's, yeah. Doctor Who had fans scratching their heads over thing. You know, I mean, is Chibnall going to leave? Yeah, rumors. You know, and it's it's like I get this series really has a lot. I've had a lot of mic drop moments, like the Master coming back, and you know, obviously Joe Martin's um, incarnation of the Doctor, and all these all these other things. And yet, I I sit here and I think. You know, no one is really like the no. the, 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 the public conversation is just. I do at least applaud there. Chibnall for trying. He's clearly trying to create that movement again of like Jack's back. Everyone in the playground is going to be talking about it. Everyone reading the papers is going to be talking about it. Oh, and there's this new incarnation of the Doctor on oh, the Master's back, and then you know for some reason we're getting another finale with Cybermen. We've not actually discussed that, have we? How do you feel about that? Well, another Cybermen finale <laughs> with the Master. Yeah, well, potentially. Oh. We assume the Master's back, don't we? I mean, that would disappoint me on principle, even if everything was... Even if yeah. it, the finale was amazing, if the Master doesn't come back. Do you think it's a real misnomer that they say the Daleks are overused and then they keep going out of their way to try and, like, you know, lighten their usage and then the Cybermen have been done to death and for some reason they just keep using them, keep using them and they don't even just get, like, say, a story a season. They've gotten the finale consistently, haven't they? Eight, nine... No, eight, ten... This one. That's it, three finales. It's sort of frustrating. I mean, we covered this kind of in our video, but I'm, I'm sort of fed up every time they come back. Every time, honestly, every time I think they've come back since, I'm just trying to get my history right here, since closing time. Right. The press has been, it's going to be this totally new thing with the Cybermen you've never seen before. It was, we've completely redesigned them for Nightmare and Silver. Then it was... You're going to see them with the master, and we've got mm. new design. And they, they're going to they do were this cool X, in like, series eight. They were cool. They were cool. I'm not disputing that. And in series ten, it was we're going to bring back the Mondasian Cybermen, and now it's we're going to have the lone Cyber. And I just forgot a, they did that. I'm just a bit like I'm, I'm. I'm just a bit like the Daleks. I, I do think there was a period where I, I, you know, honestly, I don't think they're overused per se. I think what they are is they appear a lot in underused roles. Like I get why people get a bit fatigued with the Daleks in terms of it was a bit fun, but why were they in the Big Bang? Like just rolling yeah. around and things like that. Or why is the doctor getting in a wheelchair going anyone for dodgems? Like there's no fear level to them anymore, which you covered you know, nearly two years ago in Moffat's Dalek problem. There's no fear there's no fear level to them anymore. I think the problem is as well, at least RTD RTD I've used them, right? But series four, they're the end game of that series, aren't they? They're like the big bad, everything's been leading to this. You find out what all the strands, what all the arc words have been leading to, and it's Davros and the Daleks. Yeah. Under Moffat, and again, it seems like with Resolution, they just pop up once a season and there's a Dalek story, but they don't impact anything, do they? There's, there's no, nothing's happened in the Doctor's life which has been intrinsically affected by the Daleks. 
So why are they his number one villain anymore? I, if, if you were just going off of New Who, would you say they're his number one villain? They pop up a lot. The but time really affects his life. The time war would be the only thing I would argue. But that's under RTD. Like, and I feel like from series one to four, they they're justified as his like a central nemesis. You know, I think it's I think it's the decline almost of you know. They come back under Eccleston mm. in Dalek, and he looks fucking terrified, doesn't he? Yeah. He looks, he looks like he's just... Seen, and I think that's contributes so much to the appeal of the Daleks, is that they are a bit naff now in the design, but they really sold in that how despicable they were. The fact that he was, like, screaming, banging yeah. on the door. The fact that he, he pushed the Doctor to go, why don't you just die? And you've got this character who, you, you, you know, you're supposed to be rooting for. And, and then in the finale... They execute. They execute Jack. I mean, obviously he comes mm. back. They execute so many characters that you've just known and loved. They just people are absolutely horrified by them. Install in. They completely eclipse the Cybermen in Doomsday. When you used to watch it and the Daleks popped up, you knew shit was about to hit the fan. Whereas I can imagine watching, for example, series seven, where they pop up in the opener and then they're never to be seen or heard from again until what time of the Doctor? And then they're kind of in Day of the Doctor, aren't they? But again. They're not really in Day of the Doctor, are they? They're there by virtue of being the Time Doctor. No, exactly. Time Doctor's such a clusterfuck. I'd forgotten that they're the people who hold out the war on trends a lot. There's no good Dalek Capaldi story, is there? Anyone for Dodgems? No. Like, Davros, I think, has some interesting stuff to play with in that story. But the Daleks are pure filler. Into the Daleks, not a seminal Dalek story. And then Rusty pops up in Twice Upon a Time. Do they have any stories in Series 10? Uh, They are very, very very briefly briefly in the pilots. Yeah. That's the problem is like they're always coming and going or they pop up for a story but nothing really happens. And he the just doc- kills them instantly. Yeah. He goes, oh, sorry. The, the Doctor says they're his greatest enemy um, but he or she has never displayed that since I'd say arguably Journey's End. I would say Resolution was the only Dalek story in about the past five years where it's made you go with the Daleks. Oh, fuck. Which was mainly when it was out of the shell. Yeah. And that was really creepy and it was really unsettling. And it did something with the Daleks we've not seen before. I do think, actually, weirdly, off the evidence of just that story, Chibnall, I think, gets the Daleks better than Moffat. But I would honestly like to see a proper Dalek finale. It's going to, well, I mean, what, they're in what? a special, aren't they, Nick, this year? But again, no, but, no, but I think that's continuing the same problem of like, they pop up in a special or they pop up in a random episode. Like, I'm, I'm talking next year, something's fucking with the Doctor. And it could still be an original storyline, something something we've never seen before, something fresh is really happening. But at the end of it all, the Daleks should be in the finale. And they should be the ones that test the Doctor. They should be the ones that, like, no other villain in that season, or for the last few seasons, has screwed with her life in this way. And this is her test to her limits. Because if they're supposed to be her number one villain, why are they not doing that? The Master gets to do that. Whenever the Master pops up, you know, it's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. The master popping up in, in Spyfall, it's like, oh shit. Like, she, she's got on her knees and he's choking her at the top of the Eiffel Tower. And do you know what I mean? Like, he is getting nasty. She is getting tested. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, series 10, the whole deal is about can I change the master? Series 8, she ends up being the big bad. And, you know, like, whenever the master pops up, it's, it's intrinsic to that series. And I don't see why we can't get that with the Daleks. Or indeed the Cybermen. Because they pop up in two finales so far, yeah, but they're not really the Cybermen's finales, are they? They're the Masters' finales. No. No, they're not. They're not. But this is this is it again. I it's just like... like it's going to happen again, isn't it? They're just going to be in the background. I mean, also, I'm a bit... Now that the premise has come out, I'm a bit intrigued about what this two-parter is, but not almost in a good way. I'm a bit like, oh, this sounds like a clusterfuck. 
it's really clearly going to lead in from whatever the Cyberman appearances last in in the preceding episode. Yeah, I think week. I think we're getting it probably at the end of the story or something. Yeah, or, like or they'll appear in this story or uh, as someone put on Twitter, which was seems like how do I put this? Not necessarily exciting, but like a, a reasonable approximation would be that at the end of this episode, the Doctor inadvertently gives the lone Cyberman what it wants. And then this finale is the consequence of her, quote-unquote, giving the lone Cyberman what it wants. What do you think it wants? I think a Hot Pocket. Or uh, um, it could want what Woody Woodpecker always wants, a butterscotch finger pie. Do you want my actual prediction? That was my actual prediction. Okay. Okay. Why, why would you discredit my prediction by saying that? Would you like my actual prediction? Well, yes, but I, I want you to acknowledge my predictions first as actual predictions. Yes, okay, they were actual predictions. What do you think about the butterscotch finger pie? I don't think it's going to happen. Why not? I think it's utterly ridiculous. Don't care? Well, you're an ambassador for this podcast, so... Uh, <laughs> don't care? Don't care not well, much. I, I think you'll care when uh, I tell you what the complaint is. No, I don't care. Uh, well, I think, you, I think you will care. I mean, you're an ambassador for don't this care. hotel, so I think you'll... Com- uh, don't care not my shift. Well, um, the, the complaint was that I think your theory's ludicrous, so... Really? Yeah. Ludicrous gonna make a woman holler like Ludicrous. Or... Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you stop going by Ludicrous? You know, I thought about it, <laughs> and I preferred uh, going by Chibnall so that people think I'm Chris Chibnall. <laughs> Chris Chibnall. Yeah. You know, you're my second favorite Chris. After Chris Chibsell. Uh, Chris Eggleston. Oh God. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but hang on, is there any other Christophers? Christopher Chris- Lee. Christopher Plumer. Christopher Walken. Christopher Plumer. <laughs> Plumer. How do you pronounce it? Oh, oh, that wasn't a joke. No. Oh, a plumber. Oh, so, surely plumber. I thought it was plumber. That's right. Well, as with all of your gaffes, your many gaffes, we'll cut this out. I know we won't cut this out. We'll this <laughs> Christopher Biggins. Uh, yeah. What about um, Chris Columbus, director of uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? Also discovered America. I Same see, guy. Yeah. Same guy. I actually really like the Philosopher's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets. Okay. I really like his yeah. vision for them. I think Harry Potter would work better as a TV series, but that's for a different podcast. Um, I think the Lone Cyberman is doing something very Terminator-esque. So I think it's going to do something, and it's going to be the last of the Cybermen or something, mm. and she's going to give it what it wants, which is something time travel And a bit like in Wedding of River Song, the finale will be... Because it's talking about like a cyber war and like the remnants of humanity. It was like an old empire, wasn't it? Yeah, kind of thing. I think we're getting a Terminator-style setup for suddenly. Oh, there's just these floods of Cybermen, and they're all because it looks rusty. So do you think and possibly looks... Mary Shelley? Are we saying kind of like how Robin Hood exists in this universe? Frankenstein did exist in this universe, and he's almost like ground zero for what the Cybermen become. And this Terminator has travelled back in time for whatever reason around the time that Mary Shelley encounters this Frankenstein monster and then goes on to write about it in her book, Frankenstein, that this is like the first Cyberman or whatever and that's why he's come back. Yeah, I think it's something like that. That would be interesting. I think, it's, I think it's that and the Doctor inadvertently plays into it and then we flash to the present and like the world is like this Someone scourge. listening is going, <laughs> that sounds so shit. I'm not saying... How about this? Yeah, well, I'd like, to, I'd like to clarify. I don't necessarily think it's good, by the way. I just got this, from what we have... From the trailers and the information yeah, that's available, yeah, yeah. that to me, and from you know, Chibnall isn't particularly original when it comes I, to I do like sci-fi the idea concepts. of a time traveling Cyberman in like a Terminator esque fashion. Although it wouldn't be to destroy humanity, would it? It would almost be like what the Carl Reese figure is, because he, yes. this term, this Cyberman would be going back to to save to set their wheels race. in motion and these yeah, things like that. Yeah. yeah, so that's what I mean. I feel like there's there's something there 
with the Cybermen experimenting with time travel or yeah, something yeah. like that. And it, that's that to me. Right. What if right Cybermen they're at the height of the Empire, right? And this guy's about to press the lever, which will obliterate the enemy planet. But he slips on a, his wrapper for his butterscotch finger pie, and then he like accidentally hits the lever for time travel, and he opens up a portal, and he slips on the wrapper, and then he goes back to Mary Shelley time. Do you think Chibnall would have the guts to write that? No. Melt. <laughs> I um I just think he's a guy who does dialogue. Well, sometimes he does it really wooden, but I'm mainly going to broad church. Like he only knows how to write dialogue. And to some extent, he knows about story structure, but I think sci-fi is his weak spot. Mm. And so I can see whatever this is with the Cybermen being a pastiche of another franchise. And to me, it makes the most sense in my head for that to be terminated because it's such an obvious one to do. I could think of a better writer for the series. Who? Oscar winner Mr. Bond John Ho. <laughs> Was that actually your segue? <laughs> Uh, do you want to do it again? Should we do it again? No, I actually quite like that. I actually quite like that. You know, uh, I've been in organic every week, so why, why should I just... Ladies and gentlemen, what you don't know is that was actually the 10th take. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I just... I, I, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal that the Academy actually recognised this film. Beyond that, though, do you think there were any surprises in terms of the winners? I don't think so. Acting was... Acting was clean. It was always going to be Joaquin, wasn't it? It was always going to be Lord Dern. It was always going to be Rennie Zellweger. I thought Ford versus Ferrari picking up as many accolades as Joker was genuinely surprising. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm 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 not that surprised that Joker got so many noms but didn't win. I, I think Academy voters, as much as we've seen on Twitter, some choice um, examples. Um, Chris would like to yeah, um, I mean, it's just interesting to me because, like, um, there was an article that came out in the Hollywood Reporter about a sort of an Oscar um, voter who was going to expose their ballot, and what it really did was it left me worried, really, because pretty much everything. I think, I think a lot they, of people felt after that that Parasite had no hope in hell of winning. Yeah, I mean, it was things like so they they they. I mean, there was two in... There was one, The Hollywood Reporter, and I can't remember the other publication, and both of them just... It just felt to me like they just had missed the point on so many films, you know? Like, they said they wouldn't vote for Little Women because it was badly acted and confusing in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and they liked Parasite, and they liked 1917, but they didn't really feel like they should win Best Picture because the Oscars should go to an American film. And so they were going to vote for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it was the most American. And I was sort of like... What on earth is this guy? How are these people having access? Um, said, it, was it the same person? Was it a, a collection of different people? Was it was it one, one person? person in the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, okay. And then a collection of people. Someone said they, they couldn't understand Little Women, could they? Yeah, the, which is the strange. Jumping. Which is strange to me because these are the same people who would praise a Christopher Nolan movie, which is way more complicated. Little Women literally has two time zones and they run in chronological order. <laughs> I think it's such an easy film to understand. And it's so telegraphed what time you're in. One, because the makeup and the costuming is phenomenal mm. and the actors look visibly aged. But well, two, you just pay attention to the story. It's, it's fine, isn't it? But and, the and colour scheme, it visually indicates <laughs> what timeline you're in. Like, it's like literally like obnoxiously telling you what timeline well, it I, is. I think they should have done like a, a rewind effect. That, like but that's every time, but every they, cut. It is that kind of thing where you go, why is this person, you know, on the ballot? Yeah. And then we're, we're talking Although, although clearly that, that person wasn't indicative of the, the voters, no. was it? Um, no. Thank goodness. Even though they voted Best Picture Green Book last year, um, but yeah, I think I think Bon Joon Ho, fantastic filmmaker. I recently saw Mother um, at the Prince Charles Cinema, and it's incredible. Have you seen it? Uh, no, I haven't. Mentioned it on podcast. I can't remember if I mentioned it the week I saw it because it was about two weeks ago now. 
I actually um, can't remember. I think it might have been one of the things that when we usually go through what we've seen that week, I missed. Um, but yeah, that, that's incredible. Have you seen Snowpiercer? I have not, no. Oh, Snowpiercer is awesome as well. And then um, I've seen three quarters of The Host. Um, but uh, but yeah, I haven't seen Parasite yet, which is which is annoying. It's only just come out here in limited release in certain cinemas. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we need to try and catch that, don't we? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in, uh, yeah, it's kind of frustrating in, in the UK when no one, everyone's watched yeah. this film already. Well, uh, apart from that and Full V Ferrari, I saw all the Best Picture nominees, which I'm quite happy about. I was, um, I was quite astounded. 1917 got visual effects this year. I think it's deserved, though. Was you a- know, and, and 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 I'm glad it, it didn't win anything. You know, screenplay wise, was it nominated for screenplay? It's definitely nominated for Best Picture, wasn't it? Um, it's you know it's technically audacious I just think for me it had the ingredients of of films that it was up for original screenplay it had the ingredients of films that had kind of already had their moment in the Oscar sun you know you had your one take mm. film win with Birdman yeah. so that novelty's gone haven't it you, you you had your World War One film with Dunkirk and it just sort of felt like obviously I'm not I'm, that's not a testament to the to the quality of the film or anything like that simply that the story of this Oscars would be boring. Nothing about 1917 stayed with me after I saw it. Um, some of the visuals are harrowing, but the story is so twee, I just couldn't get past it. And and also, well, spoilers for 1917 if you haven't seen it. You don't care about spoilers, do you, Chris? No, never. Um, it's a two-hander, and then once one of the leads dies, and it happens earlier than you'd expect, I think the movie gets infinitely worse, because then it's just this one guy... Going from like almost level to level in a video game, and then he'll meet like a different supporting character who's you know inexplicably played by a famous British actor, and it really pulls you out of it. And then that will happen again, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, until he gets to the end. Um, and the relationship they were building between the two soldiers before that happened, I thought was was way more interesting. So it's a shame. Um, I think Brad Pitt deserves to win for best supporting actor for Hollywood. Um, Renee Zellweger. No one saw Judy, did they? Uh, I've not cares. I've not seen it, but apparently it is like a unreal performance. It, it's an Oscar movie, though, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's the performance and nothing else. But it's not a detriment to her as an actress at all. No, I'm sure. I'm sure that I'm sure the performance was remarkable. I mean, I've, I've always it's, kind it's, of rated it's the as an only actress. acting award this year that there's been no buzz around, though, isn't it? Like in te- in the sense of like Marriage Story, there's been buzz. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's been buzz. Joker, there's been buzz. None of those movies needed those those actor noms and then they, and they still would have been like you know of the year movies that everyone's been talking about judy no one gives a shit about judy do they no i know what you're saying i was i was quite uh quietly sad that little women didn't get the kind of the acting love or it's oh, well, Greg I, I, should have got on a director oh yeah absolutely i think it's i think it's a that film unfortunately as much as it did pick up some noms i think it's been snubbed in many categories really because i, I do i as, as much as i'm not huge on period films i do think it's an excellent film and i think I think that the performances throughout were phenomenal and it just feels a bit like to me like for some reason it wasn't each year and I remember going into this race thinking it could have picked up about I thought it was going to lead noms along with 1917 I really did Um, but then we also thought Adam Sandler was going to get a nom and he didn't did you see his speech at the I uh, did what uh, some would say I was snubbed (laughs) no the best bit for me was when he recast his films like Billy Madison as if they were Oscar winners like you you know what like people say he's the nicest guy in Hollywood and that was that was a phenomenal speech I could believe it Um, best original screenplay Parasite Um, we don't know if that's deserving but the general consensus seems to be that it is deserving Um, we need to see it immediately don't we Chris yeah Um, it's a gap in our Oscar knowledge 
Um, but you know, based on everything else from from the man, I would uh, I would believe that's true. Um, and then Taika Waititi won for Jojo Rabbit and he for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, I, I mean, I was fair. I was ecstatic for it. that. I thought I thought I'd, what what that really said to me was that people who didn't get the film, it really, I really felt vindicated. Yes, it, to some extent that some people have accused it of various things and making light of the Holocaust. And you know, actually, for it to get an Oscar for its writing, yeah, to me, and it is. It's a fun film, but it's also got a serious message. And it was nice to see that recognised as much as I did like Little Women. I do think Joker deserves it for score as well. I the, score, the score. score is fantastic. Um, it, it won for the things that I think it deserved to have a chance to win. Um, and I'm, I'm glad... No it, one has talked about a piece of acting more this year than... No. Joaquin Phoenix. And as I said last week, like, you know what? Like, the guy has been in some phenomenal films... And it's it's his time to win an Oscar, mm. you know. Um, and I think the only person who was ever going to push him out this year was Adam Driver, and it wasn't his year. And I think we'll be seeing an Adam Driver Oscar very soon, I if not next year. Hope so. If not next year, because it's you know the campaign's already begun. Um, and it was nice to recognise people like Price and Banderas this year, as much as it was a shame. It says to me, much like a lot of other categories, they should. Why aren't there more noms? Like why? Mm. why you know, a lot of these issues. Could be if there was ten noms for best actor, Sandler would have got nommed for Uncle Gems. And in some of the well, leaked, know, and we? in some of the leaked ballot things, people were saying, "Well, I didn't know who to vote for because it was so obviously Sandler. I can't believe mm. that he's not he's not won." Do you think Sandler would have stood a chance of being Joaquin if he had been nommed? Because I, I still think it would have gone to Joaquin. Um, I think he would have been a tighter race for Joaquin. That's that's yeah, my. That's, it, it would it would have been a more exciting. It would have been very tight. Be, I think yeah. he would have won. Because it was the most talked about performance of the year. Yeah. And I think that goes a long way. I really, really think that always goes a long way. Um, the only one that I'm a bit annoyed at almost is Toy Story 4, which I did like. It was such a weak collection of novels. But y- you, know what, you know what it is for me? It would have been nice for Klaus and Netflix animation. You know, it would have been nice for I Lost My Body. There's just so many, there's so many films that it could have been. <laughs> I don't realise that was the name of one of the noms. It sounds like you were just like in the middle of speaking you just had this thought I've lost my body <laughs> no like it, it, it's just it's just a shame to me that Pixar dominates this category and to be honest when it first came about rightfully so they were making some utterly unreal films like Finding mm. Nemo they were making you know Incredibles Wall-E Ratatouille Up I would never Toy Story 3 you, I would you'll never know this has Toy Story 1 best animated feature before uh, Toy Story 3 did okay so it's not even like Finally, the Toy Story franchise has been no. Oscar recognised. No, not at all. That's what I mean. Like, it's just, it's just, um, it's not, it's not for me. Got any kind of um, reason to win, other than it's Pixar, and it's a shame to me. It's, it's how I felt the year that Disney won for Big Hero Six. <laughs> yeah, and I just sort of thought, why aren't we giving other studios a chance? And I thought they'd really change their ways because I was so almost eye-rollingly ready for Spider-Man not to win last year, just because, you know, well... That's well, just how the Oscars goes sometimes, isn't it? Because as much as it was awesome that Spider-Verse won last year, this year, Toy Story 4, yeah, who cares? Last year, Green Book won Best Picture, and this year, Parasite won. So, you know... I agree. And it, like, it, some, some years you get your moonlights, yeah, some I, years you don't. I was going to use moonlight as an example. Can I just say, I rewatched that recently, and it is fucking phenomenal. It's a fantastic film. It, is, it has some of the best acting in that final third part I've seen in any film ever. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like the performances in that film across the board are so brilliant. And like rewatching it, I was like, that was comfortably one of the best films of the decade. 
like comfortably. Mm, it's, it's, I'd it's, agree. It's such a well-made film, and it's completely out of the zeitgeist right now. But it's it's just like it is such a masterfully made film, and I really rewatched it. I've got so much time for Barry Jenkins as well. And um, what's the other Barry Jenkins film he did? That's oh, really Bill Street Couture. Yeah, I've not seen that. Um, I watched it very recently. Um, it's a lot sloppier than Moonlight, but I think the emotional highs it hits it, are phenomenal. It, it really paints um, a chilling picture of what it means to be black in America. I think as well, watching as a white person, it's like it, it gives you a window into. Do you know what I mean? Like how you yeah. feel every day, just doing even the most mundane things. Um, it's just, it's just one of those. Moonlight was just one of those films that I think now, having watched it a few times, it's just going to stay with me, and it's. It, it explores these kind of issues that you you have seen to some mm. extent before, but in ways that you've never seen them before, with like a rawness. You can tell everyone involved in it is thinking, you know, they've read the screenplay and they think this is going to be a really talked about film, and I'm going to give it my absolute everything. And there are films like that where you can tell that everyone involved is you having knew it was going to be something special. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you just really feel that in the way everyone's acting in it, and it's 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 so beautifully shot. And everything. It just, it and of just really. Of course, it joins the um, the long list of Oscar winners for Best Picture that end the title in light, followed by uh, Spotlight. The did not before. Spotlight. Did I was gonna say <laughs> didn't Spotlight? Uh... Yeah, it was Spotlight and then Moonlight, wasn't it? Have you seen Spotlight? Uh, no, I haven't. You know, it's by the guy that did the Adam Sandler movie, The Cobbler. Yes, which I think such a bizarre. I think I think it was literally The Cobbler, and then he did Spotlight afterwards. Can I just say, Spotlight is excellent. You should check it out. And when did you see Spotlight? It? Oh, did you see it at the time. No, um, when it won Best Picture, I um, watched it. Um, I think I was. It might be. I'm trying to think place temporally where I was. Like I can't remember whether Spotlight won when I was doing my my final year of uni. You would say your master's, were you? Yeah, and then you were going to wreck me. <laughs> um, and I was in my final year of movie, or when I first moved to London. You know, I have a master's, you have a degree. <laughs> but I remember remember, I remember sitting watching it in my room, because I was like, it just won Best Picture. And I was yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. well, I'll, I'll watch it. And just sitting there and being like, this is this is great. Again, I'm surprised it's, that you had time to watch that amongst the uh, business of your master's. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Uh, but it's, it's such yeah. a step up from having a degree, isn't it? Really? Uh, not really, no, not at all. <laughs> but um, Spotlight is Spotlight is a great film. It's not as good as Moonlight at all. Would you say it's spotless? Um, I would not. It's, it's got flaws in it, but it's 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 a it's a well made film, and the story itself is really really interesting. I like the idea that it. Is this right? It, it, it doesn't go into like their personal lives or them outside the office. It's literally about like how did they investigate it, and this is what I did. Yeah, so it goes into the personal lives of like the people not involved in the newspaper, but involved yes, in the. Yeah, 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 it, it goes into the personal lives of the story, the people who make up the story. But it, what it's I a bit like the report that came out this year with Adam Driver. I've not seen that. Oh, okay, I won't. I won't go into it. You, you should see it. Oh, okay, <laughs> you'll like it. I, I imagine <laughs> I will. Actually, I do tend to like um, films like that. I think it's, it's best to go in. Yeah, just like it. It does. It does something that's really quite clever. Well, not clever, but more. It never tries to make them out to be heroes. It makes them out to be hardworking people with like a moral conviction, mm. and I think that's so important because I think that's what certain films about these like great investigative journalism get wrong. Is try and make these people seem like superhuman people yeah. who did impossible acts, and actually, this was just a really concentrated work of diligence. It, I mean, it's like there are a lot of true stories for things, isn't it? That. Once they get dramatised, they get. It's almost as if the characters know they're going to have this moment in time. I mean, it's even like things like music biopics, like Bohemian Rhapsody. Whenever they're talking to their music producers, they're talking as if they already know they're going to be this legendary band, and they're talking with 
Do you know what I mean? With such confidence mm. about this this album or this new single. And it's like, well, I doubt they would have been like that in the room. Even if they were confident in it, it's the way they're expressing their love for their own music that's really arrogant. That, that you, you, you just you just hate these guys, wouldn't you, if you met them in the room? Oh, absolutely. If someone came up to you and was like, yeah, well, other bands aren't Queen, and, you know, they've not even got a record to their name yet, you'd be like, um... Okay, yeah, sure. All right, buddy. Uh. <laughs> and one music biopic that you should check out, actually, if you don't like that kind of like fantasy kind of element, is Control, which is about Joy Division, okay. and which is shot in black and white, and is about Ian Curtis Ooh. and his battle with um, depression. Okay, and it's absolutely so. Again, it sounds like I'm giving it the same praise as Moonlight. It's not as good as Moonlight, but it's so well acted. And it's so stylistically interesting. It's it's not like any other music biopic I've ever seen. Um, and often enough, I've watched quite a lot of them, even though mm. it's not really a genre I like that much. But Control no. is just... A, I think it's because Ian Curtis is such an interesting artist because he's not particularly um, a good person. Does it follow a large chunk of his life then, or is it... It quickly gives you, oh, Joy Division, but only like the lead up to Joy Division, but only really in the context of what then drove Ian Curtis to feel the way that he does. Yeah, and it's about his battle with depression, and then he had an affair while he was married. And ultimately, the guilt over that mixed with his depression drove him to suicide, just like all these conflicts he's in. But you only really see his childhood and things like that when it's in the context of. That's things that then influences yeah, adulthood. Yeah. And then you get this massive time jump. That's what always one of the problems with music bar, isn't it? It's like, we're going to get birth to death. Why? Or, or, or more often, birth and then they skip over the, you know, the, the, the harrowing death they had or whatever. Or, or like, you know, in the, did you see the um, Straight Outta Compton movie? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's just their rise to fame and how great they are. And, you know, it, it's, not, it's not really very critical of them. <laughs> I would say Control is more like if Straight Out of Compton was about 30 minutes of NWA, Rise to Fame, etc. And then the final hour or hour and a half or so mm. was all about Easy e and his battle with HIV. That's how I would right, describe okay. Control. It's very much about a very specific focus story. And I know you, you're not really into Joy Division, but like just as a piece of film, it's excellent. For, for me, even if I... Like, I like, um, I like some of NWA, NWA's music. But you want to watch this biopic because you want to see a critical side to them, don't you? You want to see some of the good with the bad, and it's the same thing with Queen. You know, it's just like, oh, how look how great Queen are! Isn't wasn't Freddie Mercury incredible? Like, wasn't he like perfection? And you know, music biopics always they always fall into that trap, I mean, don't I've, they? I've not seen Rocket Man, but apparently Rocket Man has that same positive to it, where it doesn't shy away from things, but it doesn't like. I feel like because often music biopics, the second act and the Dark Knight, the Soul is. Oh, the drug problem or the the, the problem, mm. but often that kind of just gets brushed over. Don't you know you're such a legend? Insert musician. Everyone's going to be screaming your name. Oh, but I'm so washed with my insert guilt slash emotional problems. Yeah. And, you know, if only I could play an incredible set at the end of the movie, which will send audiences cheering and laughing. I mean, at the you cinema. joke, but Walk the Line actually does that trope really oh, well. I'm not seen no, it, but it does uh, it really well <laughs> because how do I put this? Unlike a lot of music biopics, which play fast and loose with the facts. Johnny Cash did indeed hit a complete rock bottom, got arrested for like loads of drug crimes, and then some people from a prison wrote to him, and he found out loads of his fans were in prison, and he re-established his career professionally by going and doing tours in prisons. So, weirdly enough, that cliché, and I think What the Line was such a smash that a lot of music biopics have followed that cliché, mm. but it's well done in What the Line because you can look it up and that's literally what happened. So they can't do anything with they can't circumvent that trope because weirdly enough that trope just happened yeah but i mean that film's in a class of its own for music biopics as well 
Um, I, I say again, like a genre I don't really enjoy, but I've just praised like two. Yeah, I, it's not really something that I really think too much about as a genre, but we've seemed to have covered it today. But well, there's so, uh, there's a lot of them. That's, that's that's what can happen on the Full Fat Podcast. You know, you could be talking about Doctor Two, One Second, Birds of Prey, the next, and then uh, Oscar winners, and then and whatever. Really, what did you have for breakfast, say, Chris? Uh, I actually didn't uh, get a chance because uh, I had to come in quickly and record a podcast. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, what would you have had? Um, I used to have my overnight oats, don't I? Which uh, oh, you very, do, very delicious. You? I love oh, overnight oats. It's really cute for those of you that don't know. Well, well unless you're living with us, <laughs> you wouldn't know. Uh, Chris, yeah, he makes some overnight oats. Puts them in a nice little bowl. Puts some cling from over the top, doesn't he? And you leave them overnight, don't you? Yeah. And they taste delicious. Adorable. You've had them. Adorable. Uh, yeah, they're okay. All right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No more making them for you, then. <laughs> the way you said that reminded me of when Harry came onto our podcast, and I was like, oh, yeah, you edited that video for us, didn't you? And he was just like, yeah, great video. <laughs> <laughs> fair, that one you edited. <laughs> that's got a million views, so, you know. Uh, yeah, no, you know. More for us, really. It is, a, it is a phenomenal edit. No, but we were going to say that to him, <laughs> he just decided to say, great video. Oh. oh. Um, he is extraordinarily humble. Is there anything else you'd like to cover, Chris? Is there anything else you I saw actually, this week? Or? I actually think we're um, we're we could talk about Birds of Prey, but we've got a video coming out this week on it, haven't we? So yeah, I think I think it would almost be redundant to talk yeah. about it. Um, should we just say for now we liked it? Yes, uh, I think we did. I think that's all we can say. That's all I don't we want to spoil for this now. Um, would you like to close out the podcast? Uh, sure. Um, so it's a good night from me. Oh, I was hoping you'd do another Colin Baker impression. But no, you, sorry. You, you do you, you do whatever you want to do. Yeah, I was trying to do two Ronnies again, as I always try and do, and you just, uh, you just don't really, it's classic stuff. It, well, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level with you here. I never watched it, so when you start doing it, you know, you've got to kind of walk, walk me through it and hold my hand. But we did this on the last podcast. Okay, um, how about we close it out with your Woody Wood Pecker impression? <laughs> okay, um, this is going to be incredibly irritating. <laughs>